1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Adam Spinella is in the building. I don't know, Adam, what do you want to talk about? Just like normal stuff? Uh, NBA draft prospects, long walks on the beach, movies, things of that nature.
0: I think this is one of those filler episodes, Sam, where we just have to find something to talk about because there's nothing else going on in the NBA world right now. So I I think that's probably the right call here.
1: (laughs) It's not like it's trade deadline week and it's not like Kyrie Irving demanded a trade on Friday and has received a trade on Sunday already. The Brooklyn Nets have moved Kyrie Irving and Markeith Morris to the Dallas Mavericks for Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, a 2029 unprotected first round pick, and two second round picks. Now, I we had planned to do the big Kyrie podcast because I assumed that the Nets would wait until later this week to do whatever it was that they were going to do call Kyrie's bluff, retain Kyrie, uh, or move him, see what the best offers are that come through. I did not expect Dallas to so immediately just decide, we're going for this. We we believe that we are the right situation for Kyrie Irving. And to offer as much as they did, and I'm sure that when Brooklyn saw this offer, I've gotten some... I've gotten some other teams that have, or other like sources around the league. I don't want to like throw out actual offers. They've kind of told me what some of the offers were. This was by far like from what I gather the best one. Um, And of course it was because Brooklyn, this is the one Brooklyn accepted, right? So it is intriguing to me that Dallas decided to just so immediately go all in on Kyrie Irving, given what we know about Kyrie Irving, It's an intriguing fit on the court. It's an intriguing decision by Brooklyn to prioritize more current players, guys that can help their team now, as opposed to assets that could maybe help them down the road outside of that 2029 unprotected first round pick. Where do you immediately fall when you look at this deal, Adam? let's Let's just go first impressions. When you saw this, what did you immediately see?
0: Yeah. So the, the first instinct for me wasn't to think about an overpay from Dallas. It wasn't to think about like really the, the expedience in which they got it done. I think the Mavs needed that first initial offer to be really strong in order to make sure that they closed the the deal on this thing before letting anybody else up their offer up their ante and kind of match what the asking price was. So once Dallas made that decision, I think the the manner in which they moved forward, getting it done within 48 hours, giving up exactly what they gave up, was the right move. That said, I'm, al- <laughs> I'm always going to have questions about trying to get a championship-level situation out of Kyrie Irving, and that is very much due to the reliability that he has not necessarily shown over the last several years in Brooklyn, the prioritization of maybe himself over the team in a lot of different regards and aspects and just the track record that he's been able to show of going to a new situation saying that he's all fully bought in. And then as soon as adversity hits or there's discomfort on his side, he tends to look for greener pastures. This is an aggressive move made by Dallas, not just to try to increase their championship odds this year, But knowing that if they're giving up the capital that they were for Kyrie, they're going to have these plans of being able to retain him. This is not just the next four or five months that we're talking about here, Sam. And that's what I worry about a lot is what happens beyond the rest of the season. So
1: I'm not convinced on that. I do think that they are probably looking at this as a trial run. Uh, the reason for that is the pick capital that Dallas used. They used the 2029 first round pick, which means that they still have available to trade the 2025 and 2027 first round picks in a deal if they need to move on from Kyrie in a different manner this offseason, right? They also get rid of the Dinwiddie contract. Uh, they move off of the Dorian Finney-Smith deal. Not that Dorian Finney-Smith is someone worth moving off of. He has an eminently reasonable contract worth something like, I think it was a four-year, $50 million, $55 million extension that he signed midway through last season. Um, but it does open up some flexibility for them uh, moving forward, especially if they could potentially move off of the davis Burton deal, move off of the Tim Hardaway Jr. deal. Th- they have some interesting optionality moving forward if they decide that this Kyrie deal... Isn't something they want to move forward with after this year. I would imagine that they're looking at it as they are hopeful that this works out great and that they are able to re-sign Kyrie. Let, let's talk about what Kyrie has done this year and in his time in Brooklyn. So let let's let's just buzz through the off-court stuff first because unfortunately the off-court stuff impacts his on-court availability. So his decision to not get vaccinated last year, something that probably will be less, in fact, definitely will be less of a problem in Texas than it was in the, like, New York City, essentially, that caused him to miss a substantial portion of last season. He has also missed some time due to sharing an anti-Semitic video on his Twitter page He got suspended for a minimum of five games. I believe he ended up missing eight games because of that. This is also a guy that I think in like eight seasons of his 11 in the NBA has missed something like 20 games. He does tend to just miss time here and there. Right. And you would think that that won't necessarily get better as his career continues to age as he gets older, everything like that. Uh, There's the locker room factor I don't know Kyrie. I don't really, frankly, have interest in knowing him. But it is something that is an important thing to note here as well. Here's the other thing that's important. Kyrie has been absolutely incredible when he's been on the court this year. Kyrie is averaging 27 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists. He has a 60.4 true shooting percentage or something like that. He is... Absolutely awesome. He's been an incredible second fiddle next to Kevin Durant. He's the guy that handles the ball more than any other player on that Brooklyn Nets roster because Kyrie or because Kevin Durant is such a assassin in terms of when he gets his touches, when he gets his, uh, uh you know, time of possession essentially. But Kyrie has been great. He has been everything that Brooklyn kind of wanted when he's been on the court this season next to Kevin Durant. He has been the isolation creator. He's been willing to occasionally move off the ball when the time has called for it. Everything about what Kyrie has done this season, he is very deserving on the court of his all-star starting nod. Like he has been incredible this season and this is a genuine top 20 player in the NBA that is getting traded. And those guys don't get traded mid-season all that often. So if you're Dallas and you're looking at this and you think you need to do something, and unequivocally I think Dallas was desperate yeah. Yeah. to make a shakeup move in some regard given the way that their season has gone. It's been a little bit too roller, coasty, roller coastery, a little bit too up and down. On top of it, you look at what has happened with them in the past with high-level point guards. Jalen Brunson was a terrific partner last year in the playoffs for Luka Doncic. All due respect to Jalen Brunson, Kyrie Irving is a better player than Jalen Brunson. So could that even be a more elevated circumstance of what Dallas is able to get out of this fit together? Maybe. Uh, Honestly, like I'm willing to hear that out. What are your thoughts as you kind of think about on-court fit of Kyrie here.
0: I think the offense is going to be superb. And let's just start there because I think we could probably spend a lot of time diving into the defense and I'm sure we will, but we will. The, the offensive fit between these two guys in theory makes a lot of sense because of Kyrie's ability to shoot because of the need, particularly in postseason play to have another creator next to Luca so that he's not just doing ISO ball for 48 minutes against really good teams and individual defenders, it it checks a lot of boxes for them. I think the most important part of this is trying to add a little bit more motion or movement into their playbook because these are two incredibly smart basketball players who can leverage situations where defenses try to gamble against them or are slightly out of position. And when it's just dribble, 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 high pick and roll, isolate, switch and play, I don't think that does enough to force defenses to rotate and put them in disadvantageous positions. When you have these two guys who are some of the most physically capable off the bounce and really smart at recognizing those mistakes, there's got to be some form of, of movement and increased activity on the offensive end to leverage that. Maybe that's more like Luca Kyrie pick and roll in different situations where they're screening for each other. I think mm-hmm. there's definitely room for, you know, having one of them be like a a guy who comes off of wide pin downs while the other one creates from the top of the key or, or the opposite wing and they use that as a decoy to occupy. I think there's some screen to screener action stuff that you can do. Like there's there's a lot that opens up playbook wise yeah. where this is not going to be just the stagnant offense that we've seen from from Dallas, while also knowing whenever they need to, they can go back to that. Luca's probably the best player in the game right now, creating an advantage for his team in a one on one situation. And now they add a great floor spacer and a guy who can get downhill attacking closeouts whenever he needs to.
1: So, yeah, I do think that one thing that's interesting here is that while Luca is the most ball dominant, heliocentric player in the NBA, he, he just is. If you look at the numbers, there, there's just not really a case otherwise for it in terms of time of possession, dribbles per touch, everything like that. He, he's the guy that dominates the ball most across the NBA. In this offense, there is also real space for other guards to be able to get real time, <clears throat> time of possession. Yep. How many minutes per game do you think Spencer Dinwiddie had the ball in his hands uh, this season per game?
0: Uh, no idea, yeah, absolutely no.
1: Five point seven minutes per game. Jeez, how many minutes per game do you think Kyrie Irving had the ball in his hands in terms of time of possession?
0: I'd guess a little more than that.
1: Five point seven minutes per game.
0: Wow, they're both
1: really? right around the same now, I think that Kyrie has never played. I went back and looked at like the time of possession that LeBron had back in twenty fourteen all the way through 2017, Kyrie has never played with someone this ball dominant. I I think people don't really recognize how much LeBron was willing to kind of shift off the ball a little bit more often when he was younger Uh, and when he was in that situation in Cleveland where they were trying to win a title and things were going the way that they were going, which is to say pretty well. He was willing, especially in the regular season, to play a little bit more off the ball than what people remember. Luca has never done that. Luca has also never really been asked to do that in a way. Now, what what does that mean? I don't necessarily know. Luca is one of the smartest basketball players, like in the NBA, maybe that's ever lived on planet Earth, right? You would think that he'll be willing to shift off the ball in order to accommodate someone that is this talented, this gifted as a scorer, as Kyrie is. I think that often it was more that they didn't have anyone else in the best, most efficient source of offense was, okay, let's just go with the Luka Doncic offense. The best thing we can do every single possession is run a ball screen for Luka and then run a secondary action off of it. If he sees it, great. If not, Luka is probably going to be the guy that gets us the best shot. But with Kyrie, things will be a little bit different more than the way that Kyrie adjusts to this, I'm interested to watch the way Luka adjusts to this. I think he is the one in general for Dallas that is just drastically more important here. Yep. Um, both short and long-term, right? Like, pers- Like, let me just be clear. I probably would not have done this if I was Dallas because I would be terrified. This is a high-risk, high-reward move. I would be terrified that going out and trading for Kyrie Irving is the thing that starts the downfall toward Luca leaving my organization. And that's just not something that I would ever want to risk, period, point blank. And maybe it won't. Maybe it'll just be like a half season that we all laugh at. (laughs) Remember when Kyrie Irving played that half season in Dallas because, uh, you know, the Mavs and Mark Cuban went out and acquired him, and they thought that his relationship with Nico Harrison and Jason Kidd would be able to calm him down and you know, get rid of all of the wild stuff that Kyrie does off the court. R- remember, they, they did this with Rajon Rondo one time and it didn't work out, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Dallas does this. Or it could be a situation where it works out great, they go to the conference finals again, and then next season, the season after, Kyrie starts to do as we talked about, yep. continue to wear out his welcome, which he has done in every place that he's been so far. And that ends up being frustrating for Dallas, for Luka Doncic, for everyone involved. So it's it's a fascinating, this is the most interesting deal I've seen made mid-season in the NBA. I think that I can remember, like point blank. I I cannot remember anything this interesting in terms of both short and long-term ramifications across the league.
0: So uh, I keep going back to the coaching side of me, right? And thinking about this is a team game. Your aspirations, whenever you step into a locker room, are to win a championship and maximize the group that you have. And Lou Holtz, when he was coaching at Notre Dame, used to always ask players on his teams the same three questions every year. Are you committed? Do you care about others? And can we trust you? And that was his litmus test to trying to figure out if guys were about the right things on their team. And I just, I struggle to find the right answers for Kyrie Irving based on the track record we've seen from him that he checks those boxes in a way that would allow the Mavericks to legitimately be the cohesive unit that would win a championship. They certainly have increased their talent level right now and are on track with other top teams in the west and a couple of the top ones in the east to become if they can round out their roster the right way a legitimate championship contender not just this year but if things hold up and and Kyrie continues to play well and mesh with luca and want to come back this can be a multi-year window that's open but the only way that they actually break through and win that championship is if all of the pieces align chemistry wise if there's dependability within their locker room And the people who they need to show up will show up and sacrifice for each other. And that's just one area that I'm not fully willing to trust Kyrie Irving based on all that we've seen dating back to the moment he requested a trade from Cleveland and ended up going to the Celtics.
1: First and foremost, you can't bring up Lou Holtz uh, as a coach without me thinking of Ty Schmidt doing a Lou Holtz impression on the (laughs) McAfee show. Uh, It's literally the funniest thing I think that anyone does in sports media, like consistently. Uh, Second, let, let's talk about the coaching side because I think where they're going to be most taxed and tested is on the defensive end, right? This oh, yeah. is now a team where it's Luka Doncic, Kyrie Irving, and frankly, like Christian Wood is now like a very important piece here for them. Christian Wood <laughs> is not a great defender. Kyrie is not a great defender. Luka is a. Luca's is a better team defender than what he gets credit for. But for the most part, Luca takes possessions off because of the offensive load that he carries a lot of the time. Right. So I don't really see a world where that triumvirate together, along with Tim Hardaway Jr. Who's like, not like outwardly terrible on defense, but is not great on defense. Um, Along with, you know, like even like Dwight Powell, along with guys like, you know, guys like Josh Green and Maxi Kleba become really, really important. They really need Maxi Kleba uh, to come through, I think, in a substantial way defensively for them in the playoffs. But I I don't see a trio of Kyrie, Luka, Christian Wood being able to defend at the level necessary in the playoffs that doesn't say to me that they're screwed that says to me that there's probably another move coming more than anything because they need to either get a super high level rim protector or they need to like accentuate their depth on the wing to me i would probably go the route of the rim protector personally because i think that you can live with guys like maxi kleba josh green reggie Bullock on your like, you know, 3-4, you know, wing 2-3-4 wherever you want to call Luca. You can live with like two of those three guys being on the court with Kyrie. W- what would you do in this circumstance? Like who- how would you go about <laughs> trying to make this a tenable defense because right now I don't see this roster as a tenable defensive no, roster.
0: I don't either. Uh, and that's a really tough question to ask. I think if I had the answers, I'd probably have called Jason Kidd already and offered uh, my resume (laughs) up to join him for the next few months. But uh, to me, it starts with lineup construction and how you want to build your roster. And Dallas is going to have to lean into the offensive end. They know that that's their bread and butter now. So every lineup should be about having enough defensive potency to get by while leaning into just having the most devastating offensive attack they can. And to me, The way that you do that is obviously you have Kyrie playing the one, but you need Luka playing the two. When he has a relative size advantage, when he's been surrounded by bigger guards and wings, and the Mavericks can set high pick and roll, high ghost screen actions, and force switches where now Luka has maybe smaller or worse defenders around him, he continually uses his size advantage to get guys into the lane, play at his pace, and cerebrally pick apart any type of coverage that's around him the higher on the the wing you play him, you play him more as the three, or even in small lineups, you play him as the four. I don't think that that has as much impact or potency. So making sure that it's Kyrie, Luka, a big and maybe a couple other wings is the best lineup strategy to me. So then as we're looking forward to how do you construct a really impactful defense, you need to find a way to mitigate Kyrie Irving getting picked on. That's what it comes down to. We see it every year in the postseason. Teams try to go after him a little bit. And I don't know if there's the collective IQ to scramble, switch, and protect him if he gets isolated in the post. I don't know if there's enough rim protection or a good enough pick-and-roll partner where a you know, like a Kyrie Christian Wood pick-and-roll defensive combo. I don't see that going well for the Mavericks. And yeah, neither do I. And that's one that I don't really know. It doesn't matter what scheme well, or, you run it's it's lineup construction if you have those two guys on the floor you're going to be porous in the pick and roll
1: yeah or if you run like a you know Kyrie you know Kyrie being the guy guarding the ball handler and then you bring Lucas man up to guard the ball screen and then you have Christian Wood as like the roaming backline defender like that's also not going to work no. for you defensively so th- they need to do something the problem is yeah. that like there aren't a ton of like high level rim protectors that are out there on the trade market right now. Like it's actually kind of hard to find the guy that makes a lot of sense for them with this roster. Like I'll I'll be honest with you. Like I, I actually can't really find it in terms of like what guy they should target. I mean the ideal player for them, frankly now is Jakob Pertl. Like, if they could go out and get Jakob Purtle for a reasonable contract that, or for like a reasonable deal that that's what I would do. Like an incredible screener for both, you know, Kyrie and Luca, a real rim protector who would really help your defensive infrastructure in the middle. I just don't like the cost for Jakob Purtle publicly has been two first round picks for San Antonio. Could you do like Josh green, you know, something for salary matching in a first I don't even know that that really works for Dallas because Dallas then loses one of the wings that they actually kind of desperately need like Josh Green's been really helpful for them this Mm -hmm. season throughout uh his time that he's been on the court so just his energy his activity level he's been really really good so I I actually don't know what the answer is for them on this but if i was them that's what i would be trying to do i would be going to try to find like a high level rim protector that makes this make sense um in a way that's a little bit more cohesive maybe yeah. than well, what it is now defensively like may- well, maybe maybe the knicks here, here's like kind of a sneaky one like would the knicks be willing to do like christian wood for hartenstein and like a pick or something in order to get hartenstein off of their books for next year hartenstein has been in the past like a really good rim protector at least last year for the clippers that's what was actually like kind of exciting about him was he was obviously slicing and dicing from the high post and doing some things that way but also was able to protect the rim I'm just like spitballing here. Like I I don't even know that Hartenstein like can play in the playoffs, which is ultimately someone they need like a rim protector that can play in the playoffs. And I don't, I don't know that I see it to be like, I don't even think that makes a lot of sense for Dallas. So I'm like really trying to hunt and find the guy that like works for them. And Hartenstein is at least an option. Maybe it's like Dwight Powell and like for Hartenstein or something where the Knicks are just happy to get off that second year of Hartenstein's deal I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to find an option basically. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that they're just adding one player, whether it's a rim protector, I don't think that's enough either. Like I think there are still needs for maybe an additional wings so that you have a ton of versatility. Like they don't have that defensive stopper on the wings right now. I like Bullock. I like green. Like they're really going to miss Dorian Finney Smith. This is a roster yeah. that is really, really, really going to miss him. It, If, you know, we're talking about acquiring Kyrie and talking about banking on the least dependable player in the NBA over the last few years to continue to show up over the next several months, do they need another insurance guard? Because they're completely devoid of ball handlers outside of of Kyrie. Honestly,
1: I think the answer to that is no, because if Kyrie, if that happens with Kyrie, they're fucked anyway. So like you, you might as well just try and prioritize the things that work. With Kyrie and Luca, because if Kyrie, if one of Kyrie or Luca isn't there, they're screwed anyway. So yeah. you might as well just like go for it and try and accentuate those two more than try and figure out the yeah. other side of it.
0: So um, I, I look forward to the playoffs, Sam, and I think about those series that are going to be upcoming Yeah. For who Dallas might might end up playing. And I can't for the life of me figure out how Jason Kidd is going to construct his matchups. Like if you play the Clippers. Who guards Kawhi and who guards Paul George?
1: I mean, it's going to have to be like Maxi Kleba. It's going to have to be two of Maxi Kleba, Reggie Bullock, and Josh Green. Oh. And then those two are going to involve one of Luca Kyrie or Christian Wood or whoever they have in the game is a big – because you know Christian Wood plays like 25 minutes a night, yeah. so they'll have someone else in the game for the other 23 minutes a night, 18 minutes a night, whatever they play Christian Wood minutes-wise um they're going to try and attack those guys it's just it's going to be really hard right now for Dallas to avoid getting picked on with the way that the roster is currently constructed that's not to say that they won't go out and do something else before the deadline like honestly this comes from like not having talked to people about this like i, I don't i don't know but i would predict that Dallas is going to try and do something else before the deadline because this roster does not make sense uh as Currently constructed on the defensive end, particularly. Um, So, yeah, no, like it's it's hard because like I I think that like Josh Green and Bullock and Kleba are good defenders, Mm -hmm. but there are just too many. There are too many soft spots there to be able to attack outside of those guys
0: well and they're asked I think to punch up above their weight class a little bit much if you're saying those are going to be the primary defenders against Kawhi Leonard Paul George LeBron James in a postseason series like well what do you do
1: against what do you do against high high level guards like John right, Morant
0: right at, at that point you know how you're going to be attacked and and the way that you've constructed yeah. your roster by being bigger and more wing heavy like Maybe you can cross match and put Josh Green there so that he's chasing guys off of screens and try to hide Kyrie elsewhere. I I guess that's what you could do against the right team. But at the very least, that it's not. We know the pick and roll stuff is going to be a challenge whenever you have Wood and Kyrie on the floor together, in particular. But I don't even feel good about for a team that's so heavy on wings that they have the guys that can hold up one on one with the highest caliber wings in the world that they play in the playoffs.
1: well, here's, here's the bigger question, because who's the number one team in the West right now? Denver. Who, who deals with Jokic on this roster? Yeah. They, they actually don't have anyone to deal with Jokic on this roster. Nope. They, they have to do something. They have to go and do something, like unequivocally. So, okay. Let's take a quick commercial break, then we're going to get to Brooklyn, and we're going to get to the other effects of this deal across the league. Sure. <laughs> Okay. We're back. Let's dive into Brooklyn because I think this is a really interesting trade for Brooklyn. I think Brooklyn did it as well as they could have in this deal. I don't see any team, like I don't think the Lakers were going to give up both of those picks for Kyrie, which is essentially what it would have taken, I think, to top this offer if you're the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, getting like Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith, Dorian Finney-Smith, who is easily movable for another first round pick. Like if they want to turn around and move Dorian Finney-Smith and like in the off season, if Kevin Durant tells them they want to go, that is like assuredly another first round pick that's coming their way. So and let alone like what Dorian Finney-Smith does for them now, which pairing with Nick Claxton, pairing with Ben Simmons, that's going to be one of the five best defenses probably in the NBA at that point. Especially with Kevin Durant, with the level he's played at defensively this season, they're going to be really, really good on that end. They're also going to be really big on that end, especially with Spencer Dinwiddie playing the point, given that he is like six foot five, six foot six, somewhere in that like vein. This is a team that's going to cover a lot of ground defensively. They can beat you in a lot of different ways defensively. They can switch defensively. They can play drop defensively. They can play at the level defensively and recover. There's just a lot of different. Things that they can do to attack you on defense now with another high-level wing defensive player uh, in Dorian Finney-Smith. So I actually really quite like this deal for the Nets if the end result here for them was going to have to be that they have to move Kyrie. Uh, I think they did as well as they possibly could have. What What is your initial impression for Brooklyn?
0: Yeah, And oh, by the way, they have uh, Royce O'Neill there as well when they need him. Yep. So like a ton of depth defensively. Uh, yep. I really like the depth. I, I understand this is probably the best haul that Brooklyn could have gotten for Kyrie. It's a dream scenario for them to be able to squeeze out a, a first round pick, let alone an unprotected one for the future from something like this while not closing the door on being a competitive team this year. They'll be reliant on the defense. If this is the roster that we see, carry them the rest of the way. But I I think the Nets are also in a position to be able to make another move before the deadline. They have a lot of depth pieces here that they can reconfigure in some regard. I'm just curious to know how they're going to go about setting their playoff rotation. If this is what they have, they have a ton of options. And I think options are a really good thing for a postseason series because you can match up to your opponents in different ways. You can press different buttons in late game situations as you need. They've got size and length on the wings and front court areas. They've got a ton of specialty shooters that they can have. I, don't, I think cam Thomas had a really good showing over the weekend to the point where yeah. if you need a scoring punch off the bench, Like he might be able to to hold up in a rotation there. There's a lot of optionality that they have, but the downside is that you don't always know where your production is going to come from or what you need to to plan for on the offensive side of the floor outside of just getting Kevin Durant touches in his sweet spots. And I think that's the one thing this roster is missing a little bit. I really like Spencer Dinwiddie. I like a lot of the defenders and the pieces that they have. But I don't know who that number two guy is outside of KD that I really trust to lighten the burden on him to do all that creation in a postseason series.
1: So so this is a Spencer Dinwiddie now that is going to be very motivated. I think that he will take this as kind of a fuck you, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, I think that this is a Kevin Durant that if he decides to be in Brooklyn and there's no indication yet that like he's going to do anything other than be in Brooklyn for the rest of the year. At the very least, I think he's going to be very motivated. This team has a lot of different ways they can match up with you defensively. That is highly interesting. I I don't think they have enough firepower is what it's going to come down to. Like when they're in a series against Boston who also have a bunch of guys that are super high level defenders that are six foot six to seven foot tall, and they can throw out a lot of different different like lineup constructions at Kevin Durant to try and slow him down. We saw this in the playoffs last year, right? Like Kyrie was not giving Kevin Durant any assistance, and Boston just threw the entire fucking kitchen sink at Kevin Durant, and it was hard. It was really, really hard for him to manage that. They need to avoid Boston, I think, like at all costs in the playoffs. They need to hope that, like – they finish in the two three spot and Boston ends up being the one seed and you know, someone like Philadelphia beats them or something like that. Yeah. Well, well, even, even whatever. Milwaukee
0: is is gonna be tough for them because they have so many long physical wings that they might be able to throw at Durant. They're always gonna protect the rim well with Brooke Lopez. Like, I don't see easy buckets for the Nets coming in a series against them either.
1: Yeah, no, I, I don't, which is like I, I think that they would be a really, really interesting matchup against Milwaukee like they have Nick Claxton Kevin Durant Dorian Finney Smith that they can throw at Giannis and we don't really know what Chris Middleton is going to look like yet in the playoffs and if Chris Middleton is not a hundred percent I think Milwaukee is in some actual like problem sure like is in problem town in the playoffs uh in terms of being able to create shots especially against the defense that has potential to be as good as Brooklyn's does uh I'm not saying that Milwaukee would lose that series. I think it'd be really close. But I I think that there is a a lot that Brooklyn can do to cause problems for opposing teams. They also, I thought Nick Claxton did a really good job against Joel Embiid in their last game. They're one of the few teams that can actually somewhat manage that matchup. Not to say that you can ever stop Joel Embiid, but you can at least make his life harder. And if you make Joel Embiid's life harder and you can figure out a way to slow down James Harden in ball screens, it becomes a little bit easier to defend Philadelphia as well. Ultimately, I don't think they have enough firepower (laughs) is what it comes down to. But they have enough to make life exceptionally hard in a playoff series when they also have Kevin Durant who is still, like, up until he got hurt recently, one of the absolute best players on planet Earth, honestly, like, probably has a case still to be the best player on planet Earth prior to that injury. So when you have that guy, and you have all of the defensive versatility in the world, and you have a decent secondary creator in Spencer Dinwiddie, and a ton of shooting, by the way, and whatever Ben Simmons is, like, I I think that we should probably stop assuming there's going to be a star turn from Simmons. But if he can be a secondary creator next to Dinwiddie and they can run some short roll action, they can get him kind of passing and kicking out to Durant, to O'Neal, to Finney Smith, to Seth Curry, to Joe Harris, all of these other shooters and floor spacers that by the way, Dorian Finney Smith gives them more cover to be able to have on the court offensively. I don't know, man, like, there, there is something there 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 is this is not just like a pushover no. now I don't think like this is like a good team that could cause opposing teams problems I think
0: I think so but I also think that what we know about winning championships in the NBA over the last 10-15 years is that you probably need more than one star caliber player you need to, you need to. and the Brooklyn Nets, unfortunately, have gone from having two to now having one. As much as we can like the auxiliary pieces around them, the versatility for their lineups, betting on Dinwiddie to come out with a chip on his shoulder and really want to play hard, Kevin Durant has gone from having uh, another star alongside him to now being the only guy in town. And I wonder, A, how is that going to hold up in a postseason series when we know that teams like Boston have had success in taking him away or at least making his life really, really challenging as the only star that's operating and B does he look at the rest of this roster and feel like it's a hundred percent good enough for him to want to stay through the deadline. Like I, I don't want to conject about anything. I'm not saying that I'm, I would assume Durant would ask out for a trade, but I also wouldn't rule it out at this point either. If he looks at the roster and says this might be too hard to win a championship right now, I have no idea.
1: So as far as I know, this deal has not been like officially put through the league office. And I wonder if this is something that John Hollinger, my colleague over at the athletic brought up. I wonder if they spend the next like day or two canvassing the league to see if there's a way to rope in a third team with like the Finney Smith deal with the, um, Spencer Dinwiddie deal could Chicago look to move like one of DeMar DeRozan or Zach Levine could you know could Toronto want to get involved in something like this in order to like try and shift around uh, stars and try and pick up assets I don't know they also have the Ben Simmons deal that they can just functionally do that with anyway and if I was Brooklyn I'd be trying to use that deal to do a like separate star move like you know if chicago decides i mean look like here's the other thing like chicago could decide that they want to get off of the levine deal and it makes more sense for them to do a finney smith and you know spencer dinwiddie deal than a uh than a ben simmons deal because ben simmons has more money left on his deal i don't know but I think they're probably another trade away. I would be interested to see if they look to go down that road or if they look to ride with this team into the playoffs, see where it goes, and then if it goes nowhere, maybe Kevin Durant requests a trade in the offseason. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe they try and bring in someone like a DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine in the offseason uh, if Chicago decides to change their tune or maybe if Bradley Beal decides to change his tune about being in Washington. Who knows? I I think that there are a lot of options that could come available. We will see the way that that works out. Is there anything else that you want to talk about with Brooklyn uh, outside of them being still? I think they're still very competitive in the East.
0: Yeah. You know, for me, it was hitting on the postseason series with both teams and and trying to look at this from a lens of how do you increase your your opportunities to beat the best teams in your conference? I think Dallas has a real challenge on the defensive end of the floor that they still need to make moves to sort that out. Brooklyn they can do it with this roster a little bit on the defensive end I'm more worried about the offense do they have somebody else to ease the burden off of Durant of having to do everything on his own against a really good playoff team
1: yeah okay let's go to the ripple effects across the rest of the league now because I do think that that's also a really really interesting situation and spot for uh figuring out where the league goes from here the Los Angeles Lakers are probably the big loser here. It seems yeah. like they had wrapped around their mind around potentially looking into a Kyrie deal. I've kind of been told that like that, that wasn't something they were wildly interested in early in the season. Obviously they could have gotten him early in the season or late in the off season, And they didn't do that, which goes to that point. But like I think they made like an like a pretty real offer to the Nets, and ultimately the offer was just not as good as Dallas's. So where does this leave the Lakers? Do they actually try and use these picks now to go out and get like a Fred Van OG Ananobi um hybrid deal for Russell Westbrook? Do they go out and try and convince Chicago to part with one of its stars? Do they go out and try and like answer the backcourt question or is this a team that's just going to ride LeBron James and Anthony Davis into the play-in tournament?
0: I don't have a good answer for you, Sam. I mean, there's still <laughs> still a few days left, and we'll we'll see what the Lakers try to have up their sleeve here. Like for me, in, in this, you know, you're not just looking for potential trade partners or teams with the space or the the cap maneuverability if they were to take on Westbrook to be able to make that work, but you want pieces that space the floor better around LeBron and Anthony Davis and what they currently have. It, it all comes back to finding shooting if you're the Lakers. And Kyrie Irving would have been a huge upgrade on the offensive side of the floor. And I'd believe Anthony Davis, when healthy, can do enough to, to mitigate some of the defensive challenges. So maybe you go out there and you get like the lightest version of that type of role from a guard that you could find. Maybe it's Terry Rozier. Maybe it's Fred Van Vliet. Like there are different ways that they can manipulate just getting those guards that are available in their system. I think there's a, a move that will be made here. I obviously don't think the Lakers can stand Pat while they've got LeBron kind of in his prime for God. And it was how many years left of this, but not too, too many. <laughs> um, it, they're definitely the losers from this deal just because now every other team that they're going to pick up the phone and call has a little bit more leverage.
1: Yeah. They need to do, Something, I think, at the end of the day is the way to put it. Like, they need to go out and find a point guard, find shooting, find defensive ability on the wing as well. Like, they need more two-way players, I think, is what it comes down to. The Toronto deal is the one that just makes a world of sense to me. If Toronto decides at the deadline that they want to shift into, you know, pseudo rebuild mode, maybe not quite like full rebuild with Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam there. But if they want to cash in on OG Ananobi, if they want to cash in on Fred VanVleet, Gary Trent, I wonder if they could do that. If Toronto really wanted to like go nuts here, I think that look, the deal I've been talking about is like Memphis for, you know, Zaire Williams, one of Dylan Brooks or Danny Green, and then multiple first round picks. Right. You get a couple of first round picks and Zaire Williams from Memphis. I wonder if the Lakers would do Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent for at least one, maybe two of those picks. You could like end up with three or four first round picks into the future. In addition to having Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes on your roster. And that's a very advantageous position to be in. If you're the Toronto Raptors and you're rebuilding the Raptors, I know that Kyrie held the keys to the deadline here for 72 hours, but the Raptors are still the team that are in the driver's seat. Like, they're the team that is going to shift this deadline more than anyone else. Because if they decide that they want to rebuild and reshift all of this moving forward, I mean, Memphis can get involved. The Pelicans can get involved. Like, all of these other teams are really, really going to want OG and Anobi. And then the Lakers are over here. Like, they're. Desperate for shooting, desperate for uh, defensive capability, especially at the point of attack, like someone like Fred VanVleet can bring. I don't know, man. It's I hate watching this Raptors team. Like I, I'm just sick of it <laughs> at this point. They're miserable to watch. Like it feels like there. It feels like this this iteration of the Raptors should be done. I think is where I'm at. Be it firing Nick Nurse in the offseason, be it moving on from some of these players. They should do something. It's just, what do they do? And again, we're five days out from the deadline, and it seems like they're going to take it to the end, and they're still the team in the driver's seat here.
0: Yeah, Uh, Another ripple effect team to me that I can't stop thinking about right now are the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Uh, Whether it's the long-expressed interest that they have in Kevin Durant or going back to this past summer with trying to think about that as a rumor, and I'm not I'm not out here trying to say Kevin Durant's going to ask his way out of Brooklyn over the next three or four days, but you got to look at Phoenix as a a team that wants to hit that button as many times as possible to probe the Nets to see if they can make something happen. You've got to totally. believe that we know something's going to happen with Jay Crowder here over the next three or four days. So Phoenix is one that's really interesting to watch. And I think that they have developed a real need on their roster, which is for a bigger wing that can knock down shots and play physical defense against some of the better wings that they'll find in the Western conference. Uh, Yeah. They're, they're a team to watch here moving forward.
1: Yeah. Cam, Cam Johnson is great. And I really like Cam Johnson and he's absolutely a 30 minute per game player in the play or 25 to 30 minute per game player in the playoffs. Like, Awesome. Awesome player. If you look at his advanced numbers, they are like through the roof this year because they've been awesome when he's been on the court, they need another option. Like in addition to him, they, they really need more depth. They need more ways to match up with opposing teams. They just need a lot. Like it's funny. Like we're talking about Dallas and uh, Kyrie and Luca and Phoenix, obviously like embarrassingly lost to Dallas last year in the playoffs. Which one of those two teams do you think is better equipped to beat Denver in the playoffs?
0: <laughs> can I pick neither? Like,
1: uh, oh, I, I think it's like not even close as currently constructed. Phoenix is Phoenix, way well, more well. Just, equipped.
0: Just because they have somebody at the five who can play a modicum of defense. Right. But, but I, I still worry about the lack of size that they have elsewhere. I think Phoenix is really small on the wings. Really small. Yeah,
1: They're, they're long, but like not overly physical yeah. is kind of the way to put it. Right. Um, and that shows in their free throw rate. They don't get to the line a ton. It shows in the way that they defend teams. They, you know, Mikael Bridges is physical. He's just skinny and not like wildly strong and doesn't play that like brand. Right. So yeah. they they need a guy like that. Well, I agree with you. It, totally. And it, it shows in the
0: way that they're defended, Sam, because, you know, there've been a lot of teams. Like I go back to the Toronto and Phoenix game from earlier in the week when they would put Scotty Barnes on Chris Paul chase him over the top of screens and if they felt like they needed to switch okay now they've got a big guy on chris paul trying to dare him to to beat them one-on-one but they've got size where they can keep eight off the glass a little bit more when they have to switch those ball screens by not having a more physical presence at the four and somebody who's just all spot up shooting for them it really makes it challenging to avoid those cross matches which make chris paul's life a little bit harder as a creator
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a really, really good point as well. The other team worth talking about here is the Clippers, right? So the Clippers were a team that by Adrian Wojnarowski was reported to have gotten into the mix here to try and consider a Kyrie Irving deal. I'll be honest with you. I would have hated this deal for the Clippers. The Clippers' problem is not they just need another point guard. The problem with the Clippers is that they need ball movement. They need guys who are unselfish, who will move that thing around the perimeter, who will get teams into rotation. As good as Kyrie Irving is, and he is fucking exceptional. He is unbelievable at basketball. He's not that guy. Like This team would have stagnated even more on offense than what it is now with guys like Kawhi, Paul George, Norman Powell, um, Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, X, Y, and Z, right? Like you can go down the list. Like none of their guys really move the ball. That's what they need to prioritize in getting a point guard. It's why I've liked the look of their offense better when Terrence Mann plays point guard than when guys like Reggie Jackson and John Wall play point, right? That's like, if I was them, I'd be looking more at Alex Caruso than Kyrie. And it largely is because of the price tag because A Alex Caruso will go for less than Kyrie because of course he will uh, but also I think that Caruso fixes the ills that they have a little the specific ills that they have I'm not saying that like I would take Alex Caruso over Kyrie on the Clippers necessarily but that's more the direction I would look if I was them trying to fix the ball movement issue as opposed to trying to fix like another isolation score another Like a guy who's going to pound the ball into the ground, try and shake somebody, get to the rim, try and shake somebody, get a pull up three, like they need ball movement. They need to stop stagnant offense, not potentially add more stagnant offense as good as Kyrie is.
0: When you get to the playoffs, Paul George or Kawhi Leonard essentially function as your point guards because those are the guys that you're going to want to have the ball in their hands most of the time. So this is much more about floor spacing and adequate point-of-attack defense than it is adding just another star player to the mix here. Totally agree with that. I think that probably doing their due diligence to see what the price tag was on Kyrie, if it doesn't end up costing them too much, if they didn't have to include any sort of a pick in the way that Dallas ended up doing, then, like, what's the major downside here of adding that much talent to your roster? But uh, I agree with you. I think that there are better uses of their trade deadline capital than trying to go at Ir- at Irving. I think that's the best way to put it. There
1: are better uses of what they can do, essentially. Okay, um, trying to think. Do I have anything else on my list in terms of this deal? I mean. I have the, like Kevin Durant, what happens with him next part of this. We kind of touched on that. I don't know. I don't want to speculate. Kevin Durant seems like his own guy who really cares about basketball. I would imagine that he'll see how the season goes the rest of the way. Makes the decision from there. Again, like that, that feels like the most likely outcome, right?
0: Yeah, probably does.
1: Okay. Um, that's all I've got on the Kyrie deal. So I will just ask you very quick questions here sure. to finish. Sure, These are the big questions of this deal. Does the fit with Luka Doncic and Kyrie work? Yes or no?
0: That's such an asterisk worthy question. Um, the optimist in me says yes.
1: Okay. I think it will work for half a season on the court. Uh, does... Dallas, resign Kyrie long-term?
0: Yes, because I think he's going to be a good enough Samaritan over the next four or five months to get the Mavericks to thinking that that's a good idea.
1: I agree with you. Does it end up being a fully guaranteed four-year contract like Kyrie seems to want?
0: No. I think that there will be incentive-laden as much as having different guarantee dates or, or triggers.
1: I think it will be fully guaranteed. He did, And I think that is a bad idea for Dallas. Yeah. Um, does Brooklyn make the second round of the playoffs?
0: Ooh. I'm going to say no. Oh, be- yeah.
1: yeah to do that, no. you would think they will be playing one of, if they can hold on to that right now, they're the four seed. Uh, you know, maybe Miami is like right now what their matchup would be. Maybe they end up falling to six. They end up playing Philly. Yeah, Cleveland is right in that mix. You know, so it'd be one of, let's say, Cleveland, Miami, Philadelphia is the most likely team that they're going to end up playing. Do they win a first round playoff series?
0: I think they can beat Miami. I think it's a unique matchup with Cleveland, Uh, but my my money says no. I'm. I would. I would not put money on Brooklyn winning a first round series today. I am going to say yes,
1: that they do still, because I I believe in Kevin Durant. I I will never bet against Kevin Durant. Yeah, I have the biggest fucking mark for Kevin Durant (laughs) on planet Earth, and I know it and I don't care. Uh, Okay, Next, dude, does Dallas make a follow up trade?
0: Yeah, they they kind of have to.
1: I think so. I think yeah. the answer to that is yes. Uh, does Brooklyn make a follow-up trade?
0: I would, um, but I can also understand standing pat. So Again, I will say yes, just because I think it's what I would do. Uh, but I don't think that they're in a situation where they have to as badly as Dallas does.
1: Okay, I'm going to say that they Don't end up making a significant follow-up trade. I don't know the answer to that. I'm just like, this is all, these are all predictions. We're all just like guessing here, right? (laughs) We don't know. Um, Okay. Do the Lakers make a trade? Yes. Okay. I agree with you. I think they make a substantial trade. Uh, Do the Clippers make a trade?
0: Yes, but probably not as substantial.
1: I think yes, and I think that they still very strongly try to make a real move. Uh, that That is a very aggressive front office, and I think yes, that they will it is. continue to try. Yeah. Um, do the Suns make a move outside of Jay Crowder?
0: Uh, no. I think the only one that they would entertain is for Kevin Durant. I think that they're, at this point, probably aiming for the offseason and wanting to keep their optionality open to see if the Durant and Brooklyn situation ends then they can get him in Phoenix.
1: I think that that is the most likely outcome as well. Uh, Okay. I think that that is everything we've got on Kyrie (laughs) Irving at this point. We are now going to talk about Derek Lively, Duke, some of the other things that happened in college basketball this weekend, probably just more Derek Lively to finish the show though, because that'll be like 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, This is the end of our Kyrie talk. I see a lot of people... You know, are watching and in the comments and everything. I just want to be very clear on where this is going here moving forward. Yeah. Okay. Derek Lively has been really quite good over the course of this last little while. For people who don't know, Derek Lively was a top five recruit in the twenty twenty two recruiting class. A guy that is a seven foot one center, seven foot seven wingspan. For a long time, was the number one recruit in that recruiting class something that was a bit contentious for people around the NBA and in draft circles, because he is a limited big man. He is a very skilled defensive big man, but he is limited on that end of the court on offense. So I guess let's start here. He had a very poor start to his season. He really struggled with foul trouble on the defensive end. It seemed like he struggled with the physicality a little bit, Obviously dealt with injuries early on as well. What was your impression of Derek Lively entering this season?
0: I was really high on Lively, really, really high on him. I had top, I think top 10 or 12 on my preseason board, kind of where things were opening up because I bought into some of the versatility of tools that he might be able to bring to the table. He's a 7 1 big who moves decently fluidly, has major length and really good shot blocking instincts. I think what we might have overestimated is how guys who are that big and have been able to just get by on their size, their length, their athleticism, their whole life have a learning curve for understanding how to defend against other experienced high level scorers. And that lively was routinely maybe slightly out of position as guarding the pick and roll where he would leave his feet or not keep contact square to his chest while trying to, to alter shots on the interior that got him in a little bit of foul trouble. But as we've seen throughout the year, he has started to build some of those habits. And it leads me back to this preseason evaluation where when you have a big that has all of these tools, in the way that lively does on the defensive end of the floor with his size, with the way that he moves his feet a little bit, if he's strung out and forced to switch with just how dang good he is at protecting the basket, you believe, and you buy into the tools, not necessarily the production that you get from day one. So Derek yep. lively is very much a guy who rewards patience that you have with him. And we're starting to see that over the last few games with the blue devils.
1: So, Let's talk about the defense first, because I think that's the important place to start over his last three games. He's averaging 10 rebounds, five blocks per game. He's actually staying on the court at a really high level. He's starting to play with significantly improved verticality at the basket. On top of that, uh, that game against North Carolina, he was just the best player on the court. No doubt. He took three shots in this game. He had zero free throws and he was without question, the best player on the court in that game against North Carolina. Tell me about why that was, Adam.
0: The impact that he has roaming the back line and being able to protect the rim is absurd. But when he is tapped into understanding his role as you need to go out there and alter shots and just get a hand on every loose ball or every rebound that you can, then he is going to be really impactful. And, And he matched Carolina's interior presence and and really did a great job of just dissuading their guards from being able to attack the basket. If there's one thing that we saw by the the final few minutes of that game, it's that the Tar Heels turned into a jump shooting team. And it was because of the presence of Derek Lively down low.
1: Yeah, no, I I think that that's absolutely like dead on across the board. Um, He had eight blocks and 14 rebounds in this game. He was everywhere. Like He was absolutely everywhere. He's everywhere in ball screen defense. He was everywhere as a help side rim protector. He was everywhere. It's just like a primary guy being ready for drivers to come into the paint. Uh, he used his length to cover the ground of the court exceptionally well throughout this game and essentially like shut off Armando Baycott yep. who I think had zero shots over the course of the last 12 minutes in this game. He shut off Any sort of efficient offense from Caleb Love and R.J. Davis, it felt like North Carolina got very, very few paint touches throughout the course of that second half. And they were largely a perimeter based team. And when you do that, it's going to be very, very difficult uh, to make it work against Duke.
0: This is the vision for Lively all along. That the, totally. This type of defense is who he is meant to be. This is how he makes an impact. Has it taken him a little bit longer to get to this point? Yes. But over the last three games and, and really through ACC play as we've gotten into January, he's been solid and sturdy. But now that he's getting a ton of minutes and, and he's you know back into that starting rotation, he's been really, really, really good on the defensive end of the floor to the point where he's definitely in consideration in that middle part of the first round. He should be because he's he is a game changer on D.
1: I think that's right. I was lower on him uh, up until this little run here. And by the way, the Georgia Tech game, he was also phenomenal. That's the other game I watched of theirs recently. He was really, really great in that game. What do you do with him on offense? Is it really just a matter of, okay, like – In the NBA, he'll have more space to be able to roll to the rim. He'll have better point guards. Like, he'll have more experienced guys at hitting rollers. You can just make this work. Or is he just substantially more limited than that? And it's a, like, it's not even like a Clint Capella ish offensive uh, package of skills here.
0: I kind of think that that's all it is, Sam. Is he just needs to be in pro level spacing and with competent guards. Uh that's not to be a that's not a shot at Tyrese Proctor or Jeremy Roach by any means. I think they're really good college players. But the whole philosophical building of this roster has not been around pick and roll and pick and roll spacing. Yeah. You're starting Kyle Filipowski, you're starting Mitchell and like so much size and a lack of floor spacing. You've got a a handler and Tyrese Proctor, who's a shaky at best three point shooter. Where does the and floor young, sp- very very and, young, very young? They're pl- they've been playing Jalen Blake's a lot of minutes, who doesn't give them a ton in terms of floor spacing and offensive output.
1: And no, nobody cares when Jalen Blake's or Mark Mitchell have the ball on offense. No. All due respect, like I, I really like. I, I'm intrigued by Mark Mitchell. Uh, I, I think he's shown a lot defensively this year, but there, there's just not nobody cares when they have the ball on offense.
0: No, and and it makes it so easy to clog up the lane against Duke. Every time that Roach or Proctor get into the lane and have somebody on their back, they're going really slow and playing out of hostage dribbles and control because that's the type of guys that they are. They're not the most explosive athletes getting to the rim. They're not quick decision, get in the lane type of guys. That tends to narrow the window for Lively as he screens and rolls to the basket where he's able to catch and finish without getting interrupted on that this is an offense that does not put him in any type of advantageous situation and what he's figured out over the last few games and why he's been able to elongate his minutes is he just says screw it I'm going to go out there and get offensive rebounds in (laughs) in three of his last five games he's had at least five offensive boards that's how he's making an impact he had a crucial one down the stretch last night that allowed Duke to retain possession late and end up getting a really quality look he's doing the little things and I am willing to bet on a guy who has his tools and has done enough of the little things to just make it work with the roster that he's on. That if you put him as a true screen and roll big with crafty, creative guards who are threats to score it and are surrounded by good floor spacing, lively will piece enough together on offense to be just fine.
1: Yeah. I think I'm coming around to that too. I still don't know that you take him in the top half of the first round. In fact, I don't think you do. I think he is just a little bit too limited for that. And if any of the defense does not translate, like he is a non-entity in the NBA. Like he is a backup pick. Uh, he needs to get stronger. He needs to get stronger through his lower half, particularly, I yes. think, yep. while retaining that movement, which can sometimes be a little bit tricky for bigs and for NBA teams trying to help uh, build uh, NBA centers, basically, because sometimes they do lose that movement skill. I, I think I would take a flyer on them in the 20 to 30 range at this point. Yeah. I do. Um, you know, We've been talking all year about that range being not a dead zone, but very up for grabs yeah. right now is the way to put it. Jalen hood, Shafino seems to have just like run up and grabbed it with open arms and like might end up going in 20 going like at 20, right. Something like that. Maybe even a little bit higher. He's been absolutely terrific. Uh, you know, someone like Taylor Hendricks, someone like Jordan Hawkins, someone like Colby Jones, like all those guys, I think at the very least have established themselves as like top 40 picks certainly. And I think Taylor Hendricks has a chance to go much higher than that. Um, Derek Lively, I think, is probably going to go higher than that, too. I, got, I think he ends up going late first round, and we see what happens moving forward.
0: You know, I keep seeing a lot of stuff online about Lively should go back to school for another year and learn how to play offense. I I don't know what another year in the college game would do for him on the offensive side of the floor because he yeah. is going to be so dependent on spacing and really good guard play to create well, for him.
1: Well, so, so here, here would be the case for that. Cause honestly, like I, up until this last little two week run where he's been great, I was kind of thinking he should go back yeah. or, you know, go somewhere else, maybe not go back to Duke, but go somewhere else at the college level. Um, the case for going back to Duke would have been Tyrese Proctor goes back, has another year of experience playing in ball screens, Maybe they go out and they get another floor spacer. Jaden Shutt is on their roster, a guy that you know projects as a very high level floor spacer and likely will play next season at the very least. Uh, you know they they have guys that they can rely upon to potentially shoot it down the road. Also, you could get college, get stronger in college, right, as opposed to getting stronger in the NBA and if he showcases like i'm stronger, i'm averaging 10 points and 13 rebounds and four blocks per game which given his skill set not like completely out of the cards given the fact that he can play forever as well like his, his condi- like he looks like he can run forever uh out on the court like he'd be able to play 30 minutes no problem next year um i think there was a case for that now that he has shown real flashes and like has shown what the vision is. He hadn't even really shown what the vision was at Duke this year up until this little run, right? You saw like occasional flashes. You hadn't seen it anywhere near consistently enough. Now that we've seen it. And I assume that we're going to continue to see it. I do think he should leave. Like, I think that we've seen enough. The tools are there. We know the tools are there. Get to an NBA scheme where the spacing will be better for you. You'll learn on the fly there. It'll be fine. Having said that, like, I think there was a case pr- pr- prior to this, right?
0: I, I think the the only case for it would be finding a good enough pick and roll system where he could show something on that end of the floor. Because if he goes back as a sophomore and the exact same spacing issues kind of placate him, or he has to get his points by posting up and having just a reliable righty hook, I don't know how translatable that is to what he'll be asked to do in the NBA. So for me, this is more about like, it might just be best for lively to learn how to play in that pick and roll scheme as early as possible. And as long as he shows that there's that defensive promise and upside available, he should go pro be a a top 40 pick this year. I think he's played himself above that level, but be a top 40 guy on intrigue alone and just develop in a pro system.
1: Yeah, no, I I think that that is all, all accurate. Uh, on lively Do you want to talk at all about Tyrese Proctor? Uh, that was his best game I thought of the season by far.
0: Yeah, I, I think the the big thing for me is you can tell when Proctor shoots the ball with confidence. It just looks yep. so different with his form and the way that it comes out of his hand. You know, maybe it's something to be said for playing in Cameron and being at home. I'm not quite sure what to make of that yet, but he looked really confident as a threat to score the basketball yesterday, and that. That showed itself from beyond the arc at a really, really pure three in the second half that went through. Just a good a really good game for him all around.
1: Yeah. I think he's been a pretty good decision maker this year. I think he's been pretty solid in ball screens. We saw that particularly last night. He just he absolutely needs to go back to school or like not declare for the draft. Like if he wants to I am certain that like the Australian next stars program would love to have Tyrese Proctor. And I am certain that many other schools across the country would love to have Tyrese Proctor. If he decided to go that route, he could also just go back to Duke, right? Like I think that's a completely reasonable outcome for Proctor at the end of the day. And I think you should, I think you should go somewhere else essentially and try and figure out, uh, or I think you should go back to school or, to the NBL or something like that. Don't declare for the draft at the very least. Uh, if he wants to go somewhere else, cool. If he wants to stay at Duke, cool, whatever. But uh, I don't want Duke fans like screaming at me after I say you should go somewhere else because I actually didn't really mean that. Um, but he should stay in school because I think the upside is high. This is a guy still that is shooting 36% from the field, 28% from three. Uh, he has real shooting upside. Like I think he has pretty good touch. There's, real, there's a real chance for him to actually help himself and be like a potential top 20 pick next year. It's just going to be an extra year, I think, uh, from my perspective.
0: Yeah. And to me, this is just the new recruiting landscape right now and what we have to deal with. The decision for Proctor to go back to Duke isn't necessarily built on how much he can develop there. It's about looking at the incoming class of freshmen next year and figuring out if he's going to have the role and touches to put himself in a better position to become a pro. I think that that's the underrated part of when you look at these blue blood programs that have top five recruiting classes year in and year out. It's not just as simple. Do I declare now based on what my draft spot would be or stay come back to Duke? It's I've got to evaluate whether I'm going to get crunched from behind by more talented freshmen next year, or if I'm really going to be put in a position to have the ideal role I want as a sophomore just by coming back.
1: And oh, by the way, it is worth noting that Duke has a laughable yeah, recruiting class coming absurd. in next year. Uh they have Jared McCain and Caleb Foster. If I remember correctly, I think McCain is ranked a little bit lower than Foster. I actually like McCain a little bit more. Um I and I think McCain would be a spectacular fit next to Tyrese Proctor mm-hmm. as a shooter, as a uh just dynamic shot creating playmaker uh at like the combo guard Next to Proctor, who could run the show and then guard bigger players defensively, they also have Mackenzie Mbakpo uh, coming in, who is an awesome athlete. Will play a high level in transition. TJ Power profiles really, really well as like a potential stretch big, mm-hmm. and then you know we'll see what happens with Kyle Filipowski. I, I feel pretty confident that he probably goes right. Like we we feel pretty good that he ends up going pro. I will say something I've been talking about with people is like. Is there a world where like the NIL money for someone like Filipowski is crazy? Like, Kyle Filipowski, like, could be the first, like, big time, like, you know, potential national player of the year white dude at Duke, where we know that that means something. I, he'd have to, he'd have to be more of a top 40 guy than like a top 25 guy, which is where I think he settles in right now. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean,
0: yeah, I, I have a I have a hard time seeing nil money being better than a first round pick with the I think the amount of right. money it has with the contractual safety of you know getting linked in for at least a couple of years right out of the gates. I, I think that it's a, it's hard to if you're a top thirty or thirty five guy, it's really hard to to turn yeah pros.
1: I think if you're a certain first round pick, yes, and as of right now, I think Kyle Filipowski would go mm-hmm. in the first round. If you're not, I think that that's like Zach Eady is going to be in the most fascinating situation this yeah. off season to me. Like, I would venture that those offers crack seven figures for him to stay at Purdue, and we'll see where it goes from there. Right? Uh, does he just decide to start his pro career, or does he stay at Purdue because there's frankly more money to be made at Purdue? We'll see. Um, but yeah, like, look, Proctor could end up in a situation where he's playing next to Jared McCain, Jaden Shutt, like. Mackenzie Mbakpo, uh, or Mbako. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, realized I said that wrong the first time, uh, Sean Stewart and TJ power. And like you really can go nuts in terms of like offensive firepower around him. I don't, I think that's a really good fit for Proctor. And we'll see what happens with Caleb Foster. I mean, he's another really high level point guard that is like terrific. So, you know, uh, that's, that's something that Proctor will also have to consider. Like, right. is there a chance right. he gets beaten out by Caleb Foster? Right. I personally don't think so, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Who knows?
0: Yeah. Um, well, I think the dynamic of having Proctor and Roach alongside each other this year has been good enough for for Duke on the perimeter that having one experienced guy along with a really talented freshman is a, is a good recipe for John Shire to try to replicate.
1: Yep. I think that's right. Okay. Uh, I think that's all we got today. Spins. Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on with your life. Whatever you want to know and whatever you want to say.
0: Well, Sam, thanks again for having me on here. I think this is my first ever like trade deadline rapid reaction podcast to be able to do.
1: It was a fun time. They get
0: wild. <laughs> yeah, they, get, they do get wild. Uh, again, thank you for having me. Anybody who wants to follow me online, uh, Twitter account is at the box and one underscore YouTube is my name. Adam Spinella I have some scouting videos and stuff continuing to roll out around this time of year, but uh, team I coach has a two week push left in the regular season. So a lot of focus and energy going into there over the next few weeks before really getting into the, the heart of scouting season with conference tournaments and March madness.
1: Shout out to boys, Latin Lakers go to the athletic. You can subscribe. Uh, using the athletic.com slash game theory. That is a great way to support the show. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, that is game theory podcast with Sam Vicini. Uh, go to Apple, Spotify, whatever podcasting platform you use, subscribe there. Uh, I will have something on the Kyrie deal coming up later today. I will have, or going into tomorrow morning. I will have, what else do I have? I have rookie rankings up. I have. A thing on the on OG and Anobi's value in a mailbag form. I've I've got like a million words that I published last week. Go read all of those. I think that that's it. Until next time, we will talk soon. Bye. <laughs>